Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And if you don't mind, we are going to just use this as a launching point and then we'll continue to go through the New Testament. But I want to uh, hit a principle today that's found throughout the Bible that I believe will be a great help. We're currently in a Sunday school series finishing up the last two messages dealing with discipleship. And as we go through the Bible, we can see as the Bible refers to discipleship, it carries the idea of being a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that the first decision we have to make within our life, in our spiritual life, is the decision to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. What does that mean? It means that I recognize that I'm a sinner. And because of my sin that I've offended a holy, righteous God, I deserve to be separated from God into an awful place called hell. But the Jesus Christ came on this earth and died in my place for me and as me. And that my responsibility is to personally accept him as my savior. Now once you accept Christ as your savior, your sins are forgiven full, free, and forever. You've been brought into the family. After that, there was another choice that each individual believer must make. And that is the choice to follow after Jesus Christ with their life. We know that someone can be saved and never make a choice to follow after Christ. There are people who sit in churches like this, could sit in the back pew for 30 years and still never do anything for the Lord. That this is a decision each people have to make for themselves to make a decision to follow after the Lord. And this whole Sunday school series has been explaining and defining, describing what does a true follower of the Lord look like? What do they smell like? What do they act like? What are they, what are they like? Well, as we're finishing this up, we want to finish up this week and next week with two principles that are similar that show a little bit about what God does in someone's life to bring them to the place of service for the preparation. And we call this principle God's unconscious preparation. God's unconscious preparation. And again, a very important principle that we find throughout God's word, God's unconscious preparation. If you don't mind, notice with me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says a very clear definitive statement as God is <laughs> referring to Jeremiah. Notice what he says. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. Now, as God is talking to Jeremiah, he's bringing Jeremiah to himself, calling him to himself, and he's explaining that you were not an accident, Jeremiah. That before you were in the womb, I already knew you. When he talks about knowing him, he says, I know about you. I knew your personality. I knew what you would like. I knew your skills. I knew you, what your abilities. I knew all of that before you were even born. And before you were born, I had already chosen you. I'd had a purpose for you in Jeremiah's case that we could see that God had 
uh, ordained, chosen him to be a prophet. He had a purpose in his life. So Jeremiah was not an accident. He was created on purpose. And God had a purpose. And there was things that happened in Jeremiah's life to bring him from birth to bring him to the place where he was the prophet that God intended him to have. Now with that, we know that there are many decisions that are made. There are decisions that we make for ourselves, and there are decisions that God makes for us. May I explain? Now we can choose where you may go to church. You may choose where to live. You may choose this and choose that. But there are different decisions in your life that you had no part in. For example, you did not have the choice of who your parents were. I mean, there's no baby lying up there that said, all right, listen, we have some parents available. Which one do you want to have? Otherwise, we'd all pick Bill Gates or something like that, you know, somewhere where we feel comfortable. Or, But we didn't have a choice. I know kids that you may think, you know, that why did I get these parents? Let me tell you, God gave you those parents. God gave them to you. He knew exactly who your parents were to be to bring you to the place of who you were supposed to be. There were some other things you didn't choose in your life. You didn't choose when you were going to be born. There are some of you might have been more comfortable in the Old West. There may be some of you be more comfortable with more technology. But you didn't get a choice when you were going to be born. God made that choice for you. And all throughout your life, there are some things that of course you choose. But there are some things that you would never choose if you were given the choice. If you could forgive the personal illustration. When I was a young man in the military, um, I had started to read about revival. And started to read about how God used these men of God. And every single one of them had something in common. Pain and suffering. There is no easy way to serve God. And so as a young man, I said, alright Lord, whatever you would like to do. Whatever you need to do in my life to make me the man of God you want me to be. You're allowed to do. And he said, okay. And so what he did is he um, <coughs> broke my back. The ligaments that hold my spine straight are torn. And so my spine continues to twist. And I always suffer through two or three herniated discs at any time. I really haven't had a day without pain in the last 22 years. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm saying that's what God did for me. Now, if he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to break your back. What do you think about that? I might have said, well, maybe not. Let's, you know, is there something else? But he didn't ask me. He made that choice for me. But he knew what was best because now I have to depend upon him. I have to trust on him. It's not my ability, my strength, my... It has to be all the Lord. And that was something he made a choice for me to bring me, to make me the person that he desired me to be. This is what we talk about God's unconscious preparation. That there are some things that God does in your life to help you be the person you ought to be. He knows how to put the things in order. He knows how to put the places in the right spot at the right time. Maybe I could give another historical illustration. There was a young <coughs> boy who was uh, from a noble family in England. And out in his huge property, he got stuck in some quicksand and started to sink. And there was nothing he could do to save himself. A local farmer happened to be crossing by and uh, went to go try to rescue the boy and pulled the boy out and saved the boy's life. Well, the boy's father said to the farmer, what can I do for you? What can, is there anything I can do? And the farmer says, no, no, I'm, I'm quite content. I just was glad to be available. He says, you have a son, don't you? Yeah. Well, how about this? I pay for his college. I pay for him to go to school whatever he wants. He says, okay, I'll do that. Well, the young boy, the farmer's son, grew up. And as he grew up, he became a medical doctor who actually developed an antidote. There was a medicine that some people could take that would, they would be deathly allergic to it. Well, he developed the antidote. 
Well, it so happened that the young boy who was saved, the noble son, got sick from the medicine and started to have a reaction. And it was that young boy's, who was a doctor now, saved his life a second time. By the way, that well-known boy, uh, not the doctor, but the boy that was saved twice, Winston Churchill. See, God had put things in order to save this young man that he wouldn't have cho chosen to, to uh, go in the quicksand, but God had allowed a farmer. And now because of this, this farmer's son had been paid for to go to college and developed a treatment that one day would save Winston Churchill. God knows how to line things up. This is what we're speaking about in God's unconscious preparation. That God knows how to prepare us, knows how to move us, knows how to put things in order. Now, let's go to the Bible. And we talked about um, Jeremiah. But perhaps you could turn with me to Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7. And if you don't mind, let me just kind of hit the life of another person that we could see God's unconscious preparation. Now, as you're turning to Acts chapter 7, we'll hit that in context in a second. But we'll be speaking about a young man by the name of Saul. Saul was from a town named Tarsus. Tarsus in the ancient world was one of the heads of education and training. You would have Athens in Greece, you would have Alexandria in Egypt, and then you would have Tarsus, was one of the most well-known and important educational cities of the world. And young Saul grew up in this world, grew up with some of the best education that was available in the secular world. When he was about 12 to 13, he had a desire to be, to study, uh, to be a priest. And so he had the ability to go to a young, uh, to Jerusalem to go study from the greatest Hebrew teacher that Hebrew teacher has ever known, uh, that Hebrew history has ever known, Gamaliel. If you look even in Jewish history, they still pose Gamaliel as one of the most important Hebrew teachers of the Bible ever to be known. And Saul had the privilege of studying that. Well, as far as we can tell, um, those of you who don't know me, I love chronology, put together chronology Bible and put the people who lived together at the same time. Well, we, as far as we can understand, Saul of Tarsus and Jesus was born about the same time. And so here is a young 12-year-old boy who's studying under the great teachers. And one day his teacher, Gamaliel, says, hey, you are one of my prized students. I want to show you this young man who comes once a year. And he comes and sits and talks with the doctors and, the, they, and he asks us questions and he knows so much. I want you to meet him. They call him Jesus. Did you know that Jesus and Paul knew each other when they were teenagers? They are at Jerusalem at the same time, studying at the same place. We know that Jesus didn't study there, but he would show up once a year when his family took him there. We could show that historically. In fact, I have a whole message on that later. But imagine that. He knew who Jesus was. He got to see him as a teenager. He got to watch him grow up. And Paul watched Jesus all of his life. In fact, later on, Paul admits why he had to reject Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible talks about in the book of Deuteronomy, cursed be anyone that's hung on the tree. Jesus, or Paul said there's no way that God would ever let his Messiah be accursed. I can't accept this. It violates my idea of who a Messiah is. And so he rejected Jesus so much that he was actually part of persecuting people. Which now brings us to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, we have an early 
church martyr who's fixing to be martyred in this passage here by the name of Stephen. And Stephen gives a clear witness. And then he is rocked to sleep. He is stoned to death. And there's a young man who's watching this. Notice with me in Acts chapter 7. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 51. Let's kind of catch the context. Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 51, at the end of Stephen's message. Stephen is still preaching to the folks. And verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which have shown before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they have heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, this is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here's a young man who's rejected Christ. He says, there's no way this, this man could be what he claimed to be. There's no way that God would allow his, his son or his Messiah to be cursed on a tree. It just, and now here's this man here who's talking about this Jesus. And he watches as this martyr dies. And when this martyr dies, he's not saying, listen, God's going to get you back. God's going to strike you down. He watched as this young man knelt down and he prayed and he looked up to God and said, I see Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father, standing on the right hand of the Father. And then he says, he gets down and he prays for the people killing him. If someone is murdering you, would you be willing to pray and say, God, forgive them and Lord, I hope that you bless them and I want to see them up in heaven? That's what Stephen's doing. And when Saul is watching this man die and he's dying and forgiving them and praying, Saul's thinking about this and said, there's something to this. There's something here. What's, what's the matter with this guy? By the way, Saul never got over it. Of course, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. But if you don't mind, turn with me to Acts 22. Acts 22. And Paul never failed to give an opportunity to give his testimony. And in Acts chapter number 22, this is 30 years later. Paul is standing and giving account once again. And he talks about this incident that happened. Now remember, Saul didn't get saved that day, but he never got over it. 
He kept thinking about that Stephen. He kept thinking about the way that he died. And it made an impact on his life. Notice with me in Acts chapter number 22. And notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 20. We're not going to read the whole testimony. But let's just hear where he talks about Stephen. Verse number 20. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed. I also was standing by. Consenting unto his death. And kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said to me, Depart, for I will send thee far, uh, far hence unto the Gentiles. And so as he's given his testimony, he's basically saying, Listen, I never forgot that. One of the reasons why Paul became the person he was, was because of the example of Stephen. God's unconscious preparation had put Saul there at that time to witness that event. And it made such an impact on his life that he said, I never forgot it. 30 years later, he's still talking about it. That made an influence on me. That helped me make me the person I ought to. I never got over it. That's part of God's unconscious preparation. Now with that, let's turn it practical. What are some of the ways that God can unconsciously prepare us to be the people that God wants us to be? What are some of the things that God uses in our life that we're not making the choice, but as we're there, as we're in these places, as we're doing these things, God uses to make us? Let's hit some of these practical things. First of all, rejoice in each part without waiting to rejoice in the whole. What do we mean by that? We know that God brings us along bit by bit. And sometimes we say, well, you know, when we get to the other side, when we get to the thing, then I'll rejoice because I'll see how it all put together. You don't have to wait till then. God is always at work. And if we could see that even the things that are misfortunate in our life, We could praise and rejoice God in there because we could recognize He has a plan. He knows what He's doing. He can make those choices for us. Maybe it's something as simple as a stupid flat tire. Flat tire, now I'm out here and I'm going to be late. And our our normal response is that we want to be grumpy about it. But it could be that God allowed it to be flat because the tow truck driver's been struggling. And because we witness to Him and say, hey, you know what? I was just thinking about earlier that I was going to take this tow truck and I was just going to drive off the bridge, but you took some time to witness to me. I want to know more about this God. That happens. That happens. I'm with a police. um, (laughs) I was telling someone, I'm a police chaplain for 12 different police departments. And to have one day, have God just put something in my heart, go call this officer. Okay? Talk to the officer and Say, hear something in his voice. Hey, can you come meet with me now? Yes, sir. And he comes up and starts counseling with him and realizes, he said, I was, when you called, I had just loaded a bullet into the chamber. And he said, there was the Marine in me that when you said, come see me right now, I said, yes, sir. And once I said, yes, sir, I figured that I should keep my word. See, God knew what he was doing right time at the right place. That we need to rejoice even in the hiccups, even in the inconveniences, even in the time that we're, because God knows how to line those things up. We don't have to wait to see the rejoicing part. We could rejoice even in those small things. The Bible says to rejoice over all things, to be thankful for all things. So we need to realize that God knows what he's doing and we could rejoice in every part of it, not just the whole. What else can we have? Take note of the power of of influence. 
especially as it applies to children. You know, there's such an influence. When those young kids are small, they're easily influenced. And we want to influence the right way. They say that the golden age of learning is between one to five. That at one to five, they are learning more in those five years than they'll learn for the rest of their life. Things that we take for granted. You know, when you take that first child and they're trying to take the step and they're stumbling and you're like, come on, come on. You know, that takes a lot of learning how to take a step and how to keep it. We take it for granted unless you're old like us and then start falling all the time. But they learn so much. They say that by a ch- time a child is five years old, their personality is being formed. By age seven, it is set. Their personality, who they are. There's a time to influence them, a time to protect them, a time to teach them, a- and to help them be the person that they ought to be. We need to realize that children are impressionable. All right? We've all had the school experience and we've all had the science teacher that went ma 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 and oh. but what if you ever had a science teacher that was interesting or a history teacher that was interesting or a bible teacher that was interesting how much an influence that would make and said you know what I love history because I had a teacher that made it make sense I love the Bible because as a Sunday school teacher, I had a Sunday school teacher who loved the Bible and made it make sense. That influence that a child can have, never underestimate it to work with children and the influence that we can have for good, especially when the world is trying to do all these other influences and to drive them away. We need to take note of that power of influence. Childhood passes away very quickly and we have a small amount of time to influence them with an influence that will last for the rest of their life. What are some other things as we're trying to watch out for God's unconscious preparation and allowing God to make us the people that we ought to be? What else? Never underestimate the power of a New Testament church. Never underestimate the power, the ministry of a New Testament church. That if you want to grow, find a New Testament church that's teaching the Bible and pointing people to the Lord. That will change everything to influence people. The New Testament church, uh, if you are part of a church that's teaching the Bible, God help can direct you quite a bit as he teaches you, teaches you how to read the Bible for yourself, teach you how to pray for yourself, teach you how to seek God for yourself. My job is not for you to get stuck on me. My job is to point you to him where you're dependent upon him. And as you learn to read the Bible for yourself, you don't need a preacher to tell you God's will. You could find it for yourself. And having that influence and learning correctly, learning what the Bible says, learning these things, the influence of a New Testament church can change anyone's life. That's why one of the most important decisions you could ever make is where am I going to go to church? Because it's going to help develop your view of God and how to follow after Him. What else? Develop a conviction concerning the transforming word of God. The transforming work of the word of God. When you realize that God's word can change us, could modify us, can show us, it's a help. The Bible gives several illustrations of itself. One of them is that it's a mirror. 
And the thing about the Bible is that it gives us a clear and accurate representation. You know, we've all been to the funhouse mirrors where we get to the one and we're all squiggly and we go to this one and we're skinny and we go to this one, we're fat and we go back to the one that's skinny because we like that view of ourselves. The Bible doesn't give us a distorted view. It gives us an accurate view. By the way, that's why a lot of people hate the Bible because they don't like the image coming back. But when you learn that the Bible can show you your flaws and show you what could be fixed and show you things that you can't see in yourself, it's a help. I mean, sure, if someone tells you, hey, you got green in your teeth, nobody likes to hear that. But they're trying to help you when they point that out. God's word can direct our path. Reading your Bible every day, you could read something about, about keeping your temper, not getting angry. And guess what? You may be tested on it later on and God prepared you. Oh, what a blessing. It could be that God, as you're reading your Bible, that God directs your path and says, you know what? This is what I want you to do. And it could direct you to where you're supposed to go. God's word can have a transforming work. Let God's word do its work in your life. That's how God can help direct you. What's another practical way of allowing this unconscious preparation in your life? Guard your friends and your acquaintances. Guard your friends and acquaintances. There used to be an old saying back in yesteryear that said, you tell me who your friends are in the books you read, I'll tell you the person you're going to become. Well, nobody reads anymore, so you tell me the friends you have in the movies you watch, and I'll tell you the person that you're going to become. Those have an influence on us. You know, think about this. Parents watching and laughing at something they shouldn't laugh. And their kids watch that. And they learn from their behavior, not from what we say. They learn what kind of humor is acceptable. What type of scenes are acceptable. That influence that we have from media is a big deal. Guard your friends. There's a principle that your friends will always pull you down rather than pull you up. Maybe I could hold my finger here and turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Second uh, Samuel. All right, going off memory, going off script, but it's fine. Second Samuel, I think this would be help. I just read this in my Bible reading the other day and it was a good reminder. Turn with me, if you don't mind, There we go. 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. Let me show you some of the influence of a friend. 2 Samuel chapter number 13. And it came to pass after this, verse number 1, that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar and Ammon the son of David loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell in sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard to do anything to her. So he had a crush on his sister, but notice he wasn't going to do anything about it. He was just going to keep it to himself. Verse number three, if you don't have this first phrase underlined, please underline it. But Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And this friend, he wasn't going to do anything, but his friend encouraged him, egged him on, and they came up with an evil plot. And you could read it for yourself. We're not going to cover that now. But he wasn't going to do anything about it. But Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. 
You understand, your friends will not pull you up. They will pull you down. You need to surround yourself by people who are going to help encourage you, help keep you pointing to the Lord, help keep you reading your Bible, that will ask you, how's your Bible reading? Hey, what'd you learn in church? How are you growing? Those are the type of friends you should surround yourself about. One of those friends that when you're having in the bad day and you're having the poochy lip disease and nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll eat some worms. When you get to the thing where you're just at the boo-hoos and you have the friend that says, you know what? God's still good. God's still right. To help you keep your eyes on the Lord. Those are the type of friends that we need. The friends that are going to encourage us to keep looking at him. That's the type of friends you need to have. Not the gossips. Not the one that's always that walk with a rain cloud. That every time they move it's like the cartoon. And the rain cloud follows them. And you just step into a room and it just catches. And You need to have the type of friends that are going to point you to the Lord. That's going to be part of the unconscious preparation to bring you to who you should be is the friends and the influences you allow in your life. What's something else? Develop the right worldview. The right worldview is both taught and caught. What is the right worldview? That God's sitting on the throne. And that he is coming back. And that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. And that we can trust God. Oh, this world is falling apart. If we could have one word description of the country, the world that we live in in the last two and a half, three years now. Fear. Fear. That's not the right worldview. The Bible has not, or God has not given us the spirit of fear. In fact, turn there. Let me see it for yourself. Just in case you have never Mark that in your Bible. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of First Timothy. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Going off script, but I'm trying to be help. Second Timothy, chapter number one and verse number seven. Notice this. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. But what has he given us? Of power. He's given us the spirit of love and the spirit of a sound mind. That word sound means healthy. You know what God wants us to have? A healthy mind. People who are living in fear, we're not trying to be mean, just giving it a clinical evaluation. They're not of a healthy mind. I mean... You may know people, I know people that still haven't left their house since March of 2020. That's a long time. You can't survive like that. Again, forgive the personal illustration. I'm a police chaplain. Suicides have gone up tremendously. Mental health things have gone up tremendously. And when we talk with the folks, it's because of fear. That's the common thing that they've had. An uncertainty. They're just, they're just stuck They don't have a healthy mind. And that's not how God wants us to live. Now, I understand there's other factors, but I'm trying to say that God wants us to have a healthy mind. He doesn't want us to live in fear. And that's part of the worldview that we have. Is God in charge? Is he on the throne? Or are we just randomly flying at 10,000 miles an hour through space with no one driving? I mean, if no one's driving, no wonder people are freaking out. Having the right right worldview is a big deal because we can allow God to lead us step by step. Now this week we talked about God's unconscious preparation. Come back next week and we're going to finish off this series with God's conscious preparation. What are some things that we can do and choose for ourselves 
to be guided in the path that God wants us to do. There are things that we could actively do. Now, this is God's unconscious preparation. That is, we're having the right friends and we're at the right church and we're reading the Bible that God's going to lead us to where we're supposed to go. Someone asked a question the other uh, day about finding God's will. Genesis chapter 24, you have the servant who's sent to go find a wife for Isaac. And as he finds uh, the family, the, the father of the bride-to-be says, How'd you find us? And the servant said this, I being in the way, God led me. What does that mean? That to find God's will, you don't have to find out out there, am I in God's will right now? And if I'm in God's will, God's going to naturally bring me to where I should go. I being in the way. This is what this unconscious preparation is, that we're in the middle where God can easily just guide us to where we are supposed to go, to bring us. How did I get from here, from over there? God made those choices for me. God helped bring me. He put people in my life to influence me. He set me here. He opened these doors. And now I'm here and it's no accident. God knew what he was doing. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.